What's up, guys? We're going to do this podcast. My name is Saul Monterey, at Saul Monterey NBA on Twitter. I'm recording this shortly before I interview Rafael Barlow to talk 2022 NBA draft and the Young Rockets. You know, the Rockets have four rookies this year. We're about It's about that time of the year to start evaluating how their rookie seasons have gone. And I couldn't think of a better guest for, than this guy. I mean, he's had a eventful couple of weeks, but I wanted to bring him on for a while. So I'm really excited to, for you guys to hear this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. And we are back, joined by NBA draft analyst, expert, guru, whatever the hell you want to call him, Rafael Barlow, the founder of NBA Draft Junkies and soon-to-be full-time author of NBABigBoard.com. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Other than the fact that I got some jet lag issues because I'm in Greece, but other than that, I'm doing great. Right, yeah. I mean, we're recording this basically earlier than I normally would because we had to accommodate Rafael. He's he's in Greece, obviously. He's an eight-hour time difference, so I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, let's start with your journey, man, because, Rafael, like, you've been grinding away at this thing for years. You didn't just show up on the scene a couple of months ago. You've been involved with pro basketball uh, in some coaching or scouting capacity for a few years. Then you started producing content both independently and with other networks for a few more years. Then you team up with Chad Ford, formerly of ESPN, really and really one of the pioneers of this online draft analysis thing. Like I real I really don't care how people feel about the man. Like he was objectively a giant in the industry. But you team up with him and you work with him on this newsletter. And then at the beginning of the, of last week, Chad drops his bombshell that he's actually going to be retiring from NBA draft analysis and he hands the newsletter off to you. I have so many questions. Like how how much in advance did you know that Chad was going to retire? Like did he he ever float this to you as a possibility back when you joined NBA Big Board uh in February and really like how have these last 10 days been for you on like an emotional level? Like I'm sure it's got to be pretty grat- gratifying but at the same time kind of a whirlwind. Yeah, I'd say I knew about it. He kind of floated the idea to me, man, I'd say maybe about a month ago. And um so we kind of talked about it a little bit and then I was prepared. But what I was not prepared for was for him to drop the announcement last Saturday or wasn't, well, I guess today's Monday. So maybe the Saturday before last. So uh, at the time, I believe Chad was in Israel and then I was in the state. So we kind of flip-flopped, you know, where we're normally at. And he had sent me a text message saying that he was going to make the announcement. But when he sent the text message, I was knocked out sleep. I didn't, I, I didn't know. So by the time I got the message, I, I remember just getting up in the morning and um, he wanted me to just kind of write a, a letter to introduce myself. But by the time I got to my computer, he had already hit send on the tweet. And next thing I know, my social media was, was flooded with people congratulating me. And people were more so shocked about Chad retiring. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of out of out of the blue in a sense. I mean, I knew I just didn't know when he was going to announce the retirement. And the last 10 days have been crazy just because all the attention I probably gained like 500 new followers on, on social media and just my own stuff going on between trying to travel to Europe for this Adidas Next Generation tournament to putting out the content to my podcast 
to um, replying to everybody. I mean, I don't, I start, I've always replied to people as much as I could. And I didn't want people to think like, oh man, well now he's, you know, he's kind of blown up a little bit. He doesn't reply. So I tried to respond to every single person that congratulated me, whether it was through text or Twitter or DM. And that, that took up a few days. Um, I've had a little bit of time to process it now. And, uh, I mean, I feel a little bit of pressure. I mean, Chad is a, a legend in this industry. I'm definitely grateful that he handpicked me to be his successor. But I fully understand that I'm, I'm not Chad and that there are people that are subscribed to the podcast and the big board that are looking, you know, for, for Chad in a sense. So I know I'm going to have to probably produce two or three times as much content as Chad normally would just to keep people interested. So there's a little bit of pressure to that, but sorry, that's a long-winded answer, but uh, there's much harder ways to make a living than watching basketball and sharing opinions. So I'm, I'm definitely thankful. By the way, what's the name of the new podcast going to be? Is it is it going to remain NBA Big Board? Is it going to be Barlow's Big Board? Like, have you thought of a new name? No. So Chad actually kind of took his name off of it a while back. It was kind of Quietly, it was just called NBA Big Board, so okay. it, it would just remain for yeah. Okay, sounds good. Well, listen, I know I've said it to you before when I asked you to do the show, but congratulations, man! I think the verbiage I used earlier was that Chad handed you the newsletter, and that was my mistake. He didn't hand anything to you. You f-ing earned it. You earned it. And you and I both know that this industry is hard. It's unfair, and sometimes what you put in isn't equivalent to what you get out. So whenever I see someone like you who's legitimately putting out great content and grinding away for years, it's always super cool when you get a big break like that. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I still say he handed it to me, but I guess the best basketball comparison is I ran the floor and my point guard rewarded me with a lob. And I just, <laughs> he threw me a lob. He threw me a deep one. But I, I had to run the floor. I had to get the rebound, pass it to the guard, sprint, and, and get open. Uh, that's probably the best <laughs> basketball analogy I can use to it. So it's a combination of both my, my work, my putting in time over the years. But I mean, at the end of the day, he still threw me a lob. Hey, somebody has to finish the lob. Somebody has to finish the lob. Well, yep. let's talk Rockets now, shall we? So I know everybody wants us to talk about this year's draft and we'll get to that. I promise. But first I wanted to ask you about their current batch of rookies because as you know, the Rockets took in a whopping four rookies in the 2021 draft. Jalen Green, uh, Alperen Shangun, Usman Garuba, and Josh Christopher. Let's start with Jalen. So, Cade Cunningham was the consensus number one last year. And it kind of became a heated debate as to who Houston should select at number two, Evan Mobley or Jalen Green. And Mobley is looking like the favorite for rookie of the year right now. But Scotty Barnes is making a pretty a pretty close race down the stretch. Jalen's also kind of exploded onto the scene these last 25 games. I think it's too late for him to be in that race, but it's worth mentioning. Where did you stand on that debate? Like, did Houston make the right call? And how do you feel about Jalen now that you've seen his rookie year performance? Uh, at the time, I had K number one. And I, if I were the Rockets, I would have taken Jalen Green number two. How I feel about the performance, it's... 50-50, right? So, of course, you know, we saw all the graphics about him being the worst player in the NBA based off of some, I, I forgot what the 
what the statistic was. Might have been and real plus minus or something. Com- yeah, it was like the Raptor or something like that. Okay. But in his defense, I forgot. It was some, I think Darius Garland was the worst in this this Raptor index performance just two years ago. So not necessarily a I mean it's not a good thing, but it's not necessarily something that is that indicates how he'll he'll be in the future. He's turned it on of late. I mean, he, he's exciting. Unfortunately, it's just been a, a, a really good class, and he's he's uh, kind of been unfairly criticized because a couple of the guys have went to, I guess, better situations as far as team success. But, I mean, I think Jalen Green is, is going to be fine. And, I mean, it is March. It is towards the end of the year when rookies start to feel comfortable, right, when they kind of, you know, get in their stride. That's when the season is closing. But, I mean, I think he's played well, and I think the – the the promise for him and the Rockets, I mean, the future is bright. Yeah, the way I would describe it is if you're comparing Jalen to his peers uh, in this draft, like you're going to be a little bit disappointed. But if you're comparing him to other shooting guards of his ilk, I mean, just the numbers, I mean, they're pretty in line. They're not they're not too far off from the Devin Booker's, the Bradley Beals, the um, you know whatever shooting guard you want to, the Anthony Edwards, whatever shooting guard comps you want to make. Uh, the rookie year numbers are not that far off. Uh, but if you're comparing him to his peers, you're going to be a little disappointed. Uh, I don't think there was a more p- polarizing player in last year's draft than Alperen Sengun. Or if there was, I can't think of it off the top of my head. It seemed like people either really loved him as a prospect and believed in his star potential, or they really, t- they were really turned off by his defensive liabilities and his potential size limitations. I was a Sengun guy. I had him seventh on my imaginary board that nobody cares about. The analytics models loved him. I think Kevin Pelton's projection system had him as the best prospect in the, in the draft. I wasn't quite on that level. I, I did really like him and was shocked that he fell out of the lottery and OKC traded for him. What about you? Were you a Shangun guy, and how have you felt about his rookie year? Oh, I was a big Shangun guy. So a little bit of my background, I, I lived in Turkey during the 2016-17 season, so I kind of have a little bit of bias towards Turkey. I mean, I had a great time living there. It, I mean, it's great place. So I was familiar with Shingun before he kind of blew up on everybody's draft boards. And I went to the 2019 under 18 tournament. I, I get them mixed up because it was that summer they had an under 18 and under 19 tournament. Both were in Greece. And I attended both. And Shingun and actually his teammate Garuba, they met in the championship game of that tournament. And I thought Garuba was by far the better prospect at the time. Shingun was was chubby. Like, he was – I mean, when I see him now, it's just kind of amazing how he's transformed his body. But he was was chubby, and he was really like an old-school back-to-the-basket center. Then two years later – he developed into like this this passer. I mean, he's shown some ball handling skills. Then he became just really, really crafty. And I think that what well, I thought at the time that he should have been a lottery pick. I'm very familiar with European basketball, and you can make a case and say he was the best big in Europe last year. And in Europe, there's no like developmental minutes. Like you have to earn your spot to play at a at a high level. And the Turkish league is, in my opinion, the second best 
domestic league in Europe. So you have plenty of like former NBA players, high level college players that are playing in Turkey and Shingun dominated that league, which is not, not an easy task. I think for Americans, you kind of, you know, don't, don't fully understand, you know, that your basketball in Europe is, is pretty tough. So he dominated that league and um, I was high on him. I was, like I said, I was just shocked that he fell outside of the lottery I think the people that probably weren't high on him probably didn't spend enough time watching his film. Like I remember being at summer league and just hearing the oohs and ahs of, you know, whenever he made a play and I'm like, this guy has been doing this. And I, and I felt like, and I, I felt the like same exact way. Shingun. I felt the same exact way. Yeah. And I feel like even with the roster today and on the summer league roster, he has been able to make a name for himself without playing his natural role, he's not getting a lot of post touches. So he's kind of had to like score and transition. I mean, we've seen the play where he got the ball and turned his own rebound into a fast break. Wait until he gets a traditional point guard that can give him post touches and let him operate. He's going to be special, man. He, he, he's going to be really good. So I'm, I'm high on Shingun and I'm not surprised by the recent success. And I mean, the way he's trending, he 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 could be an all star center for years to come. We could not be more in line there. I I was a giant Shangun fan. I thought he was a guaranteed starter in the NBA, and I was as you shocked that he fell out of the lottery, shocked that OKC traded him. Uh, and when I saw him at summer league, I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what he was doing in Turkey. It's just like nobody was watching him in Turkey and people were making the really lazy Enos Cantor comparison, which really pissed me off. Like I got, it really got to me when every time I heard it, uh, be, you know, Turkish big man that can't defend. Oh, but Enos Cantor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, but that's a lazy comparison because they came from the, the same right. country. Like I always tell people, we don't compare every Kansas player to every Kansas player. You compare a player from college to another player that is similar, not just based off of their ethnicity or the region of the the country or the state that they're from. So I feel like those are unfair. They were super unfair. It was super lazy. And I'm glad that people are now seeing how special this dude is. I mean, you're right about Turkey, uh, about that league. I mean, it, it is a really competitive league. So, I take it when you say that well, when he gets a traditional point guard that you, uh, you're, we're going to see more from him. I take it you're not the biggest Kevin Porter Jr. guy. Is that a fair descriptor? Uh, I'm a fan of the talent. Definitely a okay. fan of the talent. I, just, I mean, I think it. I don't think he's a point guard on the winning team. I think, he, like I said, he's super, super talented and he's a shot maker. I, I feel like the Rockets are maybe trying to turn him into like James Harden in a sense. And uh, I mean, there's only one Harden. I'm I'm the Harden guy anyway. Uh, But no, but I feel like even if it's a backup point guard, even if it's somebody that's going to come in and set the table and get him entry touches or understand like, Hey, I got to feed my big, you know, I think that's usually a veteran. And I feel like I I can't say I've watched a lot of Rockets games lately, but I feel like, Schroeder has has been helpful there. Yeah, it it is it is interesting to see just the slight change from somebody who has played the position a little bit more. And even Schroeder, I would not classify as like a traditional point guard, but 
compared to Kevin Porter Jr., it's like, you know, it's, there's a difference in terms of their ability to recognize when you need to feed the big, when you need to do certain things on the floor. Um, but yeah, that is, that is interesting. I, I, I want to, I do want to see, uh, what happens when the Rockets find someone more permanent there at the point guard position. I'm a fan of the talent too. It's, it's, just, I'm, I'm not the biggest, uh, fan of the way the Rockets are using him. So you mentioned Garuba there, which is a good transition because I've kind of been shocked in both directions about Josh Christopher and Usman Garuba. I'm going to be totally upfront here. I was way higher on Garuba and I actually thought his professional experience in the ACB would lead him to getting more playing time right away. And he's been in the G League all season. It seems like his offensive game is a bigger liability than I had anticipated. And on the other hand, when Houston selected Josh Christopher, I was kind of shocked because I did not have him in the first round. And I thought he was likely going to spend some time in the G League. And the guy has looked like Houston's most consistent guard all season outside of Eric Gordon. He's super strong. Uh, he defends. And on the offensive end, he just radiates confidence as a ball handler and jump shooter. Has Christopher's play surprised you? And should Rockets fans be concerned at all about Garuba's slow NBA start? Oh, man, that's a good question. I was higher on Garuba. And I, at one point, I had Garuba as as a lottery pick. I think that, well, I put it like this. One of my fears for Garuba was he can look good or he's going to look bad if he's not in, in the right fit. And one of my knocks on some NBA teams is I don't think they really do their research on putting the international prospects in the best position to succeed. I mean, I have a few players that, that I could mention in that. And I think for Garuba, if he is used as like a role man, as, and I think he's a good passer, very underrated passer, but if he's used as a, a role man, then he can make plays for others. He's a guy that I think you can give the ball to in the middle of the floor and he can make good decisions. And so, um, he had some flashes last year where he knocked down some corner threes, but I don't think that he is going to like really give you a bunch. So my, actually my best case scenario for Garuba was a Paul Millsaps type player, a guy that's like yeah. kind of like an undersized or um, Millsap developed into a, you know, respectable shooter from three could kind of post up smaller, smaller players and just kind of just a, a really good connective glue guy. I still think Garuba could be that. But here's the thing that, and, and this is a quote that I heard a few years ago from an NBA coach about some European players. He And I won't mention the player's name, who's top 10 pick, currently out of the NBA. And the coach said he knows how to play basketball, but he doesn't know how to hoop. And if you're on a bad team full of young players that are trying to find their way in their second contract in the league, you got to know how to hoop. You got to play a little bit selfish. You can't always try to make the right play all the time or you're not going to look good. And I think Garuba could fall in, into that situation because he's used to playing with a very structured Real Madrid team, a veteran team that is looking to win titles while you know he's not going to um you know be selfish and, and, and take bad shots. He's always gonna to try to make the right play, which it doesn't always look good on, on, on bad teams sometimes, if that makes sense. No, it, it does make sense. Like I I think 
you know, the point you talk about structure, I mean, the Rockets don't really have much of a structure this season offensively. It's very open and they're trying to not, they're, they're trying not to run as many plays. That's Steven Silas's intention. They're trying to keep it kind of, uh, feel, a feel type of offense. And it's not working with this young group. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where like there probably needs to be more structure in, but right now, uh, they're kind of going with the flow and, it's it, for a player like Garuba, especially a big man rotation that is as stacked as Houston's. I mean, they have a, a, a bunch of centers there. And right now, Shengu, not Shengun, Garuba is just not a good enough three point shooter to play him anything but center as of this moment. Uh, so it's going to be really tough for him to get a guy, get a, get a rotation spot. But I'm still a believer, man. The defensive ability, the size, the guy's so big. Uh, he's got like a 7-2 wingspan or something freakish like that. Uh, I, I thought he was kind of like Ibaka like, uh, Paul Millsap's a good comparison as well. Um, like I, I, I'm still a believer in the talent. I just, you know, the, the, the slow start to the NBA career and the offensive struggles are worrisome, but he needs to get that roll game down or, or a three point jumper, or he's just not going to be able to display that amazing defensive talent. Yeah. And he, he could be a guy that ends up looking better on his second team. I know it's way early to think that far because he's only 20. Yeah. But he could be a guy that if you if you put him on a team that is that has like a defined role for him, right? Let's say, and I mean, I, I'll go up I-45. Let's say you put him on the maps right now. Well, his role is set screens for Luka, roll, get rebounds, defend, occasionally knock down threes. I think he's going to look better with the defined role on a better team than with guys that are young and trying to get the second contract, trying to, you know, go out and just hoop. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my opinion on Garuba. Now, as far as Christopher, I was not high on Christopher at all. I thought Same. that he was a scorer. Uh, and I thought that he was a guy that was going to rely on just ridiculously tough shots. Even in summer league, I thought he played well in summer league, but I felt like he was just a little too selfish. Like he was really looking to, and this is my opinion, could be wrong, but I felt like in summer league, his mindset was, I'm going to go out here and prove to every single team that they made a mistake for passing on me. Made some spectacular plays. And also, I felt like, and maybe because I was just a biased Shingun fan, like, missed a lot of reads. But I think Christopher has a long career in the NBA as this microwave off the bench scorer that can just provide instant offense. It's interesting. I'm actually a little bit higher on him. Like, I was low on him entering the draft, but... Watching him play with the Rockets, I, I, I really like when he has the ball in his hands. Like, I think he's just so confident and like he knows what he's going to do. And I, I did get the sense at Summer League, I did get that same sense that, okay, I'm going to prove to people that they were wrong for passing up on me because he was a highly touted high school player and, uh, you know, fell all the way down to 24. And some, you know, most mocks had him going in the second round. So it was one of those things where like, uh, he definitely had a chip on his shoulder in Summer League. But it was I. I'm watching him now, and I, I think he has some, you know, underrated defensive capabilities. I think I I want to see him more with uh, Jalen Green uh, as a defensive player. I think it'll be interesting to see how his career pans out. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he definitely outplayed his draft position, and uh, yeah, 
But one of the things I do like about Christopher, and I like this about any players, I love irrational confidence guys. I love guys that that when they walk on the court, they feel like, yeah, I may be going against LeBron or whoever the star is, but I'm just as good as they are. And I think that confidence will go a long way. And that's the thing about Christopher. I do like, I love the confidence. I think that he will have the work ethic to improve. But sometimes I feel like he went to the, uh, rest in peace, but the Kobe Bryant school of tough shot making. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, and sometimes he could kind of simplify the game a little bit. But I mean, with his confidence and I think with his work ethic, I think he could, uh, he's going to maximize his, his, his skill set. You might not be the most efficient offensive scorer. But if he becomes better as a defensive player, which he has the tools to do, and I, you know, on ball seems like he's he, he has the potential to be pretty good. Uh, if he if he takes that skill off ball, and he, if he uses his tools to become better as a defender, that you know the inefficiencies as an offensive player, you know, I think I think there's a there's a pathway to him being a start in the NBA. I'm not closing that door for him. I, I really like the guy. I've changed. I want. I've had a complete 180 on the dude. Uh, this is the fun stuff, the 2022 NBA draft. I want to talk about the strength of the class first. So I'll be honest, I'm excited for this draft, but not as excited in comparison to last year. Like last year, I thought there were six or seven guys with legitimate star potential. And this year, I think there's like four or five guys with star potential. And I'm generally not as high on those four or five guys as those six or seven last year, if that makes sense. I also think there's a swifter drop-off in talent from the lottery to the end of the first round. Whereas last year, there was a there was like 20 to 30 guys you could talk yourself into. Uh, and this year, I, I don't feel the same way. Am I wrong for feeling that way? How do you feel about the strength of this draft? Uh, overall, I like the draft. Maybe because I'm a... No pun intended, a draft junkie. I, I love the. I don't know. I guess I just love trying to figure out how good a draft is going to be, and I don't think you can really get an answer until after the rookie deal is over. I mean, I just remember two years ago in 2020, everybody thought, "Oh, this is a weak draft," but it was because Anthony Edwards didn't go to like a blue blood school. Lamelo was in Australia, so people didn't see him play. Uh, and 2020 ends up being a, a pretty good class. And I think this class can be pretty good. I think that, you know, your top four are pretty much set in stone. I think five to ten can be totally it, – it's up in the air. And then I feel like even down to, like, 15 through 35, there's not much of a difference. So it, it's going to, like, be a situation where GMs and scouts are really going to have to – do their homework because you're going to have a guy that's drafted in the early second round that's going to outplay somebody that went just outside the lottery. Then you have like these freshmen that were highly touted coming into the season that had disappointing seasons that may fall that could end up looking good. So, I mean, I, I'm just intrigued by what happens with this draft. So I'm not going to say it's a weak class. I just really enjoy like the, the depth of this class. Yeah, I'll say I'll say this. Like, I like this draft. I loved last year's draft. That, that's kind of how I feel. Like, I like this one. Last year, I was like, oh, like, I can talk myself into like thirty of these dudes becoming legitimate rotation players in the NBA at a minimum. And uh, it seems like it's it's borne out that way when you look at these rookie seasons. I mean, it's been a hell of a a rookie class. But 
let you you mentioned it, so let's go ahead and start at the top because unlike last year, there's legitimate debate as to who should go number one in this draft. It really felt like a two-man race at the beginning of this year between Chet Holmgren and Paolo Boncaro. Then Jabari Smith Jr. really started to impress, and then it became a two-man race between Holmgren and Smith. Now it feels like Boncaro has kind of reasserted himself into that conversation, and we've settled into this three-man race between Chet, Jabari, and Paolo. Is that a fair assessment of where things stand right now based off everything you've seen and heard at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think you could throw Jaden Ivey in that mix simply because okay. I think the success of John Morant is going to help him out. Even though, you know, there's been some success of bigs, I still think the NBA is still perimeter-oriented, and he's the best perimeter-oriented player. And, I mean, he's just a, I mean, a phenomenal athlete who I believe is going to look better in the NBA with NBA spacing. At Purdue, he's always on the floor with the – traditional big that doesn't shoot at all. So I think that he'll look better. Uh, but I still think and I think there's a shot, like an outside chance, and I felt like if he would have had a strong tournament run and led Purdue to the Final Four, it would have helped him out, but his last game probably didn't do him any, any favors. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I got Paolo number one. That's, that's who I have number one, and I'm a big Ben Kale guy. Yeah, I mean, you, you took away my next question, but like, I, I knew your answer all along. It was really, you know, surprising that you held on. And then watching him in the tournament, man, he made you look really good. He, he made you look really good for having Boncaro number one. I mean, the guy is such a skilled ball handler and a, pre, a not bad passer. Like, the passing instinct surprised me in the tournament. I didn't know he was this good of a passer. Uh, it's one of those things where, like, you know, you kind of try to put these, you know, score bigs into a type, right? And then they, you see them do something you're not used to. It's like, oh, my God, he can do that. And he he definitely surprised me. Uh, the comparisons for him are really tough to pin down, but I just know he's going to be good. He seems like, like it's very easy to see why people see star potential in him, right? Like, I would say out of everyone that has a legitimate case for number one, he has the best ball handling and creation ability. One could fairly say that he's the safest in this group to become a star. Is that kind of why you have him there? Yes, and I just feel like he's the best player. I mean, if I'm going to take guy number one, I want a guy that I feel like I can give the ball to and say, hey, go get me a bucket. doesn't necessarily need to be set up. I think with Paolo, you can give him the ball and say, hey, clear out go make us a play. If he's not going to get you a bucket, he can create for others. I think he's the best passer of the three. The biggest knock on him was he wasn't the best shooter out of those guys. But so far in the tournament, he's made eight out of 14 from three. And he's, I mean, he's shown that he is going to step up in big games. And I feel like in today's NBA, if you're going to be a, like a, a really good scorer, then you need to be a good, passer and playmaker and if you can pass the ball it will help unlock some of your scoring because teams are going to have to think twice about sending a double so I'm all in on Van Carroll and I you know of course there's a natural part of me that wants to be like the I told you so I told you so but I feel like I mean he dominated Chet and Kentucky at the beginning of the season then Chet had like a, a great run in the WCC I mean it's not the strongest conference and then everybody fell in love with Chet again. And then, I mean, Jabari had a, a great season in, in the SEC. But one of my concerns about Jabari is 
he doesn't really have the, the ball handling and, and shot creation. So, I mean, he can score off screens, and he's a phenomenal shooter, but I think he may struggle. And, of course, he's young, so he has plenty of time to develop. But I just don't see, like, the ball handling out, out of him at this point. Yeah, I, the shot was probably my biggest concern with Boncaro and the defense a little bit, for sure. Like, the jump shot, it's like, yes, he can get to that shot whenever he, he wants, but can he make, like, he, he loves that pull-up too, right? He's He'll hit that all day. It's the threes, right? It's the, it's can he extend out there and hit at a thirty six percent clip? Can can he get to that in the NBA? I I'm confident that he can get to like thirty five percent. I I think he I think I, I'm a believer in him I, as a prospect as an offensive scorer. I could just think, you know, I I've seen the mellow comparisons. I'm not sure if I'm there yet, but interestingly enough, the you know Carmelo wasn't the best three point shooter uh in college either. So it's it's interesting to see uh people make that comparison, but. Uh, he's he's bigger. Uh, he is his ball handling is pretty insane. I think the passing's a little bit better too. Uh, and you know you mentioned Jabari because I I do have the same concerns about Jabari. Man, he, that guy can really shoot the ball, but can he get to that shot whenever the hell he wants? I'm not so sure he can. I it, the defensive abilities definitely help me ease my concerns about him as a top pick, right? Because he's such a versatile defender that perhaps it doesn't matter whether or not he can get to that shot whenever he wants uh, because he's a great shooter and he's so big and he's such, he's so versatile defensively that maybe all that makes up for the fact that maybe he's not the best ball handler, maybe he's not the best shot shot creator, and maybe he's a little bit more guard dependent um, than uh, these other guys. Uh, I've heard a lot of Michael Porter Jr. with defense in regards to him. Is that a fair comparison? Because I feel like MPJ was a better creator or better off the bounce, or maybe, but maybe my memory is hazy. Yeah, I think Porter definitely was a better like shot creator. But I'll be honest, like when I first saw Jabari play in high school, I thought that he was like Channing Cry because all he did was shoot threes. That's all he did. So I was kind of low on him. This this season, he shot a lot of threes, but he was a much, much better shooter than I thought. Like, you can make a case that he's the best shooter in this draft class at 6'10". And then he was coming off, like, pin downs and action plays. So I was really impressed with his shooting. But it's, it's uh, all right, let's say if he's Rashard Lewis. Great career, yeah. going to make a lot of money. Is that like your number one guy? And then I don't necessarily want to always do the comparison game because I've heard people compare Van Carroll to Tobias Harris or, you know, Mello and all of that. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what if well, I feel like this. I feel like if Jabari as he's getting as he's gotten stronger, he has been a little bit more comfortable in the post. I think if he can get continue to get stronger and develop a post game, then he just becomes like this great inside outside threat that can also defend and then you you know you have a really strong case for him being you know your franchise guy but I, I think like and this is just my opinion but I feel like I would like to see him play the game a little bit more inside out as opposed to outside in because if his shot isn't falling from three, I don't really know how he's going to like impact the game. So I would like to see him play a little bit more Dirk in a sense, how when Dirk started his career, all he did was shoot threes in a sense. He's even playing some three. 
But as he got stronger, he developed in the post and the mid post. And now you had to pick your poison. Do you defend him one-on-one on the block? Or do you, uh, you know, or if he has a big on him, do you let him stretch the floor? And I, that's where I would love to see Jabari kind of develop into that. You know, when we started debating the number one pick at the beginning of this year, right, when we were starting to talk about it, I I really fell in love with, Ch- with Chet Holmgren. Like, the more I watched him, the more I'm like, this guy is so like, gifted, not, not only as a as an instinctual defender, but I, I think I feel like he's more fluid with the ball than he's given credit for, like with the ball in his hands. I feel like when he gets the opportunity to, to run a break or something, right, to make like to get a defensive stop and then get the ball and run the floor, like he runs the floor really well, and with the ball in his hands, it doesn't look awkward or you know out of his out of his comfort zone or anything like that. So I'm actually more confident uh, in his offensive ability than most people. But is are the weight concerns fair with him? Right, because you always hear that. Right, 195, really thin frame. He hunch he hunches down a lot. I. You know, the shot blocking ability definitely helps uh, ease your concerns, but I, I'm still, I, I still have him as my number one tentatively. But I don't know. Like, is it a concern for you? Yeah, I actually did some research, and uh, I, I guess it's a two two sided question. Yes and no. Yes, because I haven't seen anybody at that size. I even did the research on like Durant and Kevin Garnett, and they were still like two fifteen, maybe two twenty. While right. Chet is like one ninety five. Yeah, and then I think Durant was you know he had better ball handling. So Durant is like a natural guard or natural wing, so he didn't have to come into the league and and defend the post. Garnett came in skinny. While Chet is tough, Garnett was was tough, and he played in the you know the NBA was more physical back then. So I mean, I guess that could be somewhat of a comparison. But on the other hand, he hasn't had any injuries, so it's no. you know you don't want to sit here and say, oh well, at that size, you know he's going to be injured, but he he hasn't had any injuries. So I think it's unfair to you know throw the injury bug on him when he hasn't had any signs of it. But the player that I think that he plays like, that he could end up developing into, and it's probably not going to be a popular opinion, but he might be a three-point shooting Marcus Camby. Marcus Camby was really skilled in college. I mean, I remember him outplaying Tim Duncan. But while he was a good ball handler in college, in the NBA, he wasn't like a shot creator, ball handler. So I think, what, but he was a great rebounder, rim protector. He could occasionally, I mean, he, he didn't really post up much because he wasn't strong enough to post, especially in, in that NBA. So his game had to be outside and just kind of knock down shots and just kind of score or depend on other people to throw him lobs and, and run the floor. And I think that could be checked like a, Three point shooting Marcus Candy. Are you are you comparing the theoretical version of him from college or are you comparing the NBA version of him? Both. I mean Candy was really, really skilled. But even then, like Candy, I don't know what he weighed coming into the NBA, but he finished at around two forty. 
which means we're still going to have to expect Chet to put on 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like, or not 50, yeah, 45 pounds, something like that. So, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be tough to, to find someone to really compare him to. Like I said, I think he can handle the ball, but especially like in transition, I think he can handle the ball in transition. But as far as like in the half court, handling the ball, creating his own shot, I don't know because I think that with his lack of strength, he's just going to get bumped off of his spots. And I think you can probably put like a smaller, stronger defender on him, and that will eliminate any ball handling that he has because he won't be able to necessarily get around him. He he just won't have a, a clear path to the rim. Yeah, here's my thing with the weight concerns. First of all, we do this every year with somebody, right? Last year it was Evan Mobley. This year it's Chet. I'll admit Chet is definitely skinnier than Mobley, right? Uh, Mobley had like 10 or 15 pounds on Chet. But we don't do it the other way. Like, nobody seems to ever care if someone is too heavy, right? Like, I didn't hear anybody saying Zion is too big until he actually got hurt in a game, right? Like, it always seems to be the other way around. Like, oh, this guy is too skinny. And how often do you see, like, a legitimate, like, star prospect being held back because they were too skinny or because they didn't add on the weight? Usually they add on the weight, right? Maybe it's not going to be a ton of weight. Maybe the frail thing will will follow him throughout his career and maybe he can't play certain ways or in certain lineups because of it but I don't think it's going to prevent him from being a star if he is a star right if that does that make sense like if he actually is that type of player I don't think the weight will prevent him from being you know from achieving his full potential I think perhaps it prevents him from playing certain styles but from being like you know a legitimate number one overall pick I don't think that's going to prevent him from being being so but I'm biased I, I like the guy a lot yeah, I mean, I also feel like, you know, if he puts in the work, he will, you know, get stronger. I just don't know how much he can put on. I think Durant is listed at 240. I still find that kind of hard to believe that he's 240. But I just think the difference is Durant is going to spend most of his time on, on the perimeter, and he has a much better handle to where he can, you know, get his shot off and – and, you know, I just like I said, I think he's a, a, a wing. But Chet is just tough to compare to. I mean, we'll go crazy trying to pigeonhole him and put him in the box, compare him to other players. I just think we have to appreciate him for what he does. But to your point, it's almost – and it's kind of like part of your point. Like, for example, Van Carroll is like 250, right? So I think when a guy is already like has this NBA body, sometimes people – are like, oh, well, he's closer to his prime. He doesn't have as much upside. Well, if a guy is really skinny, then it's almost like, well, he has a bigger upside because he can put on weight. And I, I sometimes I just kind of think that's a little bit unfair in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I think like with Luca, he got some of those things. Well, he already, you know, he's played pro and, you know, he, he's got a strong frame. He doesn't have the same upside because, we can't project him to be this once he puts on this amount of weight. And I think that's kind of unfair. Yeah, I agree. Again, like I, I, I haven't seen a star prospect being prevented from being a star because of weight. It just, I just, I'm, I'm, I've tried, I've looked, I, I've looked uh, as, you know, as far as I could, as far back as I could, I haven't seen it yet. You know, perhaps there's a name that I'm not thinking of 
where weight was a legitimate concern and from preventing them from being that kind of player. Maybe you could say Porzingis, but even Porzingis, I feel like the injuries are kind of more flukish and like hard to predict uh, more than body type. But uh, that's besides the point. Am I being unfair by leaving Jaden Ivey out of this conversation, by the way? I know you did mention him in that original four, but like, does he have a legitimate case for number one or is it kind of obligatory? Like he has to be in the conversation, kind of how we do with the MVP race. Yeah, I mean, I think he has an outside shot. I mean, if Anthony Bennett were number one, <laughs> anything can happen. Uh, and here's the thing about the NBA draft that's so weird is every year we see guys just shoot up out of nowhere because they had great workouts. Like, it's almost like sometimes what you did during the season just doesn't mean anything. So if Ivy if Ivy's agents are like, hey, we're going to work out for everybody, and he shoots lights out in his workouts, and of course the workouts are going to be scripted to showcase his strength. But, I mean, if he's just like doing crazy windmill dunks, showing crazy athleticism, and then shooting 14 out of 20 on five different spots on the floor during his workouts, he could really, really shoot up. And I just think teams are going to realize, like, okay, imagine what he's going to do in space with his athleticism. And then on top of his hunger and, just, and competitive fire, it's just going to take the right team. That, that's all it's going to take. So, And I think if it's a general manager, like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like a guy like Sam Presti would have the balls to, like, think outside the box. Now, whether I don't think that's the best positional fit, but it's going to take like a, a GM that is secure in his job and has the balls and thinks that Ivy is the best player to, to take that chance. But for the most part, I think people are going to play it safe and kind of go with the consensus. Right. I think he's going to probably slot in at three or four, more likely four than three. But I do like him. He's a ridiculous athlete. That first step is legitimate. It almost feels like he could potentially benefit from John Morant having the rise that he's having, you know, this season. The models still don't like him, by the way, which is which is interesting. Like the, the statistical models still weigh that rookie year poorly. I don't have the conviction to take anyone else in that spot. I I I, I would probably still stick with that four in the top four. I, I can't I can't imagine anyone sliding in there at this moment. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's an outside shot. And I think what separates him from Morant is that Morant is a, at least in college, and even in the NBA, but Morant is a much better playmaker and passer. While Ivy kind of has the driving kick vision. But if Ivy ends up being like Russell Westbrook, like this guy that just attacks relentlessly downhill and he piles up assists from kickouts and dump offs. I mean, you can make a case and say Westbrook would be the number one player if we redid the 2008 NBA draft. He'd have the best career. If you could guarantee me that that uh, Ivy ends up like Russell Westbrook, if you could guarantee that to every general manager in the league, I think he goes number one, right? Like it's like that's that's a Hall of Fame career trajectory. He's a top 75 all-time player. Uh, you definitely would take that if if that's what you're getting with Ivy, but it, it, it's it's really tough to find those guys, right? Like even Sam Presti reached for Westbrook at the time. 
uh, it was it was considered a ballsy pick. So yeah, it, may, it might it might take a general manager like Sam Presti uh, being there uh, uh, co- coincidentally to take that uh, risk again. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if Masai was taking that high, he could do it. Or if Pat Riley, I mean, guys that just kind of have security where if they totally flame out, they're not going to lose their job. Maybe the Spurs, if they end up picking that high, I think they have the guts to, to do something like that. But other than that, no. I'm with you. I it's 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 tough to see anyone reaching there, but it, I don't blame anyone for falling in love with the prospect in a workout. By the way, uh, this is definitely one of those draft classes where I want to see all these guys in a workout because it, it is so tough. It is so tough. Like a lot of these margins are razor thin, especially with those top three guys. I want to see every one of those guys in a gym before I'm selecting at number one. Uh, I'm taking my time. I don't think there's a clear consensus like last year with Cade. I think it's going to be something where I'm like, okay, I got to take, I got to take a, a, a thorough process here, uh, and then, and then take my pick. Um, and I think, you know, what's it, what's interesting is at number five, you talk to seven different people, you're going to get seven different answers as to who you should take there. And if I'm, if I'm a team, like all these lotter all these teams at the top of the draft are desperate for star power, right? And I'm just I don't care if 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 he ends up flaming out, if the sample size I mean there is no sample size. I'm taking Shade and Sharp there. I'm risking it and I'm taking Shade and Sharp at five. I know uh there's good cases for Keegan Murray. I know there's good cases for AJ Griffin. I'm I'm really one of those guys where it's like if you're gonna be at this position in a draft you got to go for the highest ceiling possible. You got to go for the shot creation. If it doesn't pan out, you'll sleep easier at night because you took the guy with the highest ceiling. But what about you? Are you are you more so? Do you are you someone uh, who would prefer to take someone else there? Uh, I am a swing for the fences guy, but this is my thought process behind that. Patrick Baldwin Jr. doesn't go to school. Some team is taking him in the top six, like if he just sat out this year and did whatever, or if he reclassified last year, he would have been a top six pick just based off his high school, high school height. I like to go off of what I see in college. And it's, I mean, there's so many guys that you can say Peyton Watson, Caleb Houston, uh, somebody else I'm forgetting that were projected as top 10 picks, Ushmak Jang, and for whatever reasons, whether it was fit or in Watson's case, he, you know, it was hard for him to pass up uh, Hakez and uh, Juzang on the depth chart. But I don't know. I mean, it's such a risk to take a guy who you've only really seen, I mean, over, over a weekend because NBA scouts, were able to attend um, Peach Jam, but, I mean, Sharp had a really hot summer. Like, he wasn't even a top 100 prospect at this time last year. Had a hot summer. I mean, he shows the flashes, but, I mean, I, I just think it's really, really risky. It is risky, and as you said, uh, that that's extra sample. There is there is a case to be made for taking the security pick there. Yeah, this is just me. I, I would swing for the fences, but... Is there someone there that I'm missing that has star potential that maybe is a little bit more secure at number five? Like, am I too low on AJ Griffin or Keegan Murray or somebody else in this t- that could be number five? 
uh, is am I missing something here? Because like I see, I see that position in the draft, and I'm like, screw it, I'm gonna go for Sharp. But but maybe you see it differently. Maybe you see someone else there with star potential. I think if Benedict Matherin can work on some shot creation ability, then I think that he has a shot. I mean, he's already athletic and he's a, a good shooter. At the minimum, he should be a 3 and D guy. But if he can just work on adding stuff to his game. And the player that, I mean, they're, they're not the same type of player. But Jalen Brown did not have the ball handling and shot creation or creativity in his game when he entered the NBA. Whatever he's done in his off seasons has worked as now, you know, he's an all-star. I mean, he's a legitimate top, I don't know, 30 player, you would say, in the NBA. If Matherin can work and add that to his game, because he's already a better shooter than Brown was at the same stage. If he can add that to his game, then I think that he has the potential. Griffin... Yes, I mean, I just think that the concerns about his injuries are, are going to throw teams off, but he's been compared to a better shooting or three-point shooting Jimmy Butler. If he ends up being that person, then, I mean, you can say that that's a star. I like Murray. I think that I mean, his game is – I mean, he was great this year. He may throw some teams off or teams may be concerned because teams value athleticism and he – you know, just not like a, a great NBA level athlete. I mean, he's a good athlete, but he's not, you know, like this super freaky athlete. And I think that may hurt him. But again, I, I mean, we've seen a few guys in the NBA that are not considered elite level athletes, but they're so skilled and they're so smart, they make up for it. So he could end up being a star that teams pass on because they're they're going for a freak athlete. Uh, well, well, real quickly, who do you have at five, six, seven? Like, I, like who is on your big board five, six, seven? Before we move on. Oh man, I, I mean, the last big board I had at five, and uh, I think I had Griffin. I think I had Griffin at number five. Six, seven. I want to say I had Murray, Duran, and I want to say I had Sharp. I had Murray, Duran, and Sharp. Okay. Okay. So, so you're you're definitely someone who values that security with Sharp. Like you're you would you're, that scares you that he hasn't played a game in college, um, and that's something that would deter yeah. you from taking him. Yeah, I mean, I I look at it like this. A few years back, uh, man, I can't think of the kid's name right now. Scott Labissier was the number one player in the high school <laughs> class. Yeah. If yeah. he does not go to college, he has the security of being a top 10 pick. <laughs> so that's the, that's what, what, what scares me. And then I think if you just go down the list of who the number one player was in different high school classes, and if they would have, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I can think of guys like Trayvon Duvall, who was ranked ahead of Trey Young. Going to college – cost him millions of dollars. I mean, even just last year's class. So that kind of, that kind of scares me. I, I, before I give a 19-year-old a guaranteed four-year contract and make him the face of my summer draft plan, I want to see him play in games against 
better competition other than than high school. So that that's that's the part that scares me. But it's gonna take really a secure GM. Yeah, that's fair. That's completely fair. Uh, I I get it. I understand it. Uh, may disagree with it, but I understand the opposing position. Uh, speaking of guys who may have been, that's the thing uh, I like about the draft. Sorry, I was gonna say that's the thing I like about the draft is at this point none of us are right and none of us are wrong, and so that's right. why I don't get carried away with other people's opinions, whether I disagree with them or not, because I don't know. It's like I mean, nobody knows. <laughs> Even yeah. the best guys that are running teams that are getting paid millions of dollars make huge mistakes. I mean, think about all the teams that passed up Nikola Jokic. You know, I mean, so that's that's why to me it's like we we don't know. So it's I respect yeah. everybody's opinion. Jokic, Giannis, Ginobili. I mean, there's some all-time misses there, and like it's hard hard to even blame these general managers because every other general manager passed them on with them. And like, it's not like there were, there were any truth sayers in the media saying that these guys should have been hired. They just, they just fell and teams got lucky. And I don't even think some of these teams that drafted these players saw the same potential. They it just fell, it just fell into their lap and like, okay, we'll take it. We'll start building a franchise around this guy. Uh, but it happens. It happens. It's the NBA draft. That's why it's so fun. Um, so let's talk about the Rockets at 15, right? So the Rockets right now, because the Rockets have the Nets pick this year, and the Nets are currently the ninth seed. But I, I think you and I both expect them to make the playoffs before it's all said and done uh, because they have Kyrie back, they have Durant. So they're probably going to make the playoffs. It's going to be a tough uh, It's going to be a tough last few games for them, but they're probably going to make it. So here's, here's why I have them situated. It's probably going to be in that 14 to 16 range, or that 15 to 17 range, excuse me, uh, where the pick lands uh, that Houston owns. So in that range, who do you see falling out of the lottery that could potentially fall into Houston's lap? Do you see someone that's like super undervalued by the rest of, I don't know, the rest of the draft analysis sphere that you are higher on than most? Or do you see some, do you see someone that could potentially fall on draft night that we just don't see coming? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a crapshoot, but I like Kennedy Chandler there. I like, I mean, he's a little undersized for, you know, traditional standpoint, but I like his competitiveness. I like the fact that he can, I mean, he, I think he is a good shooter. He has the speed to break down defenses. He averages a little under five assists a game, sharing ball handling duties. And he's someone that I think could help Houston out. I mean, he would be like, he has the speed of shooter, but I think more traditional playmaking abilities and he can knock down open shots. So, you know, whether it's like a, a Jalen Green kick out or Shingoon is making the play. And that's selfishly, that's the fit that I would love to see in Houston. Yeah, by the way, I forgot to ask you, like, like from that top four or five, like who do you like like going to Houston in the top of the draft? Like I forgot to ask you that question. Like who's the best fit there? Uh, I mean, I'm going with Van Carroll. I want to call him Playoff P, but <laughs> he's, uh, I mean, he's lived up to, I mean, it's not the official playoff, but he's performed well in, in big games. And so I think that, you know, there may be some concerns about defense, but, 
And you give me Ben Carroll and Shingun together, you have two slick passers, two guys that can post up, and I, a creative coach could uh, could, could have some fun with that lineup. You know, your four or five pick and roll, or or you know, just have a little fun with it. So I, I would go with I would go with Ben Carroll. Listen, like if if the if the Rockets end up with Bunkera, it's not like they're gonna be disappointed. But man, that that defensive lineup of Shangoon, Bonquero, and Green could be really dicey. It's gonna be something if if they end up with Bonquero, they're gonna have to work around. But listen, it's a high quality talent right there. You can't pass up on him. I I like it. So going back to fifteen, if you're Houston or if you're any team in this range from fifteen to seventeen. How far do you let Jalen Hardy fall before you say, screw it, I'm going to go for it, I'm going to take it? I know he had a bad year uh, with the Ignite, but I I still see him as that high school uh, prospect. I still see him as someone that could have potentially been a top five pick. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go roll the dice. Like, How far do you let that guy fall? That's tough, simply because I feel like the Ignite was set up for him to succeed. Like if you're a mm-hmm. top player in high school and you go to the night, they're going to give you the keys because they need the program to succeed to get the next guys to go. I think he would have he had more freedom with the night than he would have if he would have went to Kansas or you know UCLA or something like that. So that's what scares me. Um, man, if I'm Houston, I don't like I don't like the fit there because I think he's too redundant to what they already have. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see him falling. I could see him as a lottery pick, and then I could see him falling down. But, again, my thing is, like, am I going to put more stock into what he did in high school as opposed to what he did in a, a level above it? And that's just my theory. Like, I use high school to see what a guy can, like some of his – Flashes, like, for example, with Van Carroll, he played a lot of point forward in high school. So I knew that he could pass the ball. Like, these four or five assist games that he's having at the tournament don't necessarily surprise me because I saw it. With Hardy, I see him playing the same way that he played in high school, tough step backs, high, high potential as a shot creator, but against the advanced competition, I mean, he's just been really, really inefficient. And, I mean, his shot selection is kind of shaky. And then I feel like if you're going to be like a volume high score like that, then you have to be a really good playmaker and passer. And I don't necessarily see the passing instincts from him. Yeah, listen, like, I'm. I, this is one of those swing for the fences that I'm not even sure I entirely believe. This is I'm just throwing it out there. You know, because it is int- I I am so interested to see how far he falls before a team's like screw it. You know, I'm not sure if if I'm Houston, I would do it because again, you you know, this Brooklyn pick really fell under your lap this year with being 15, and you don't know how good they're going to be next year. So you don't know if you're going to get a pick in this range again from the Nets. I would probably take a safer option. You know, maybe like someone like Walker Kessler or like Kendall Brown. I would I would go safe here. I would I would definitely go safe. I would probably swing if I'm top five. I don't know if I would swing in this range. It's but it is something to think about because you know at the and in this range you're probably not going to get a star, but the idea of swinging for a star is interesting enough to like, like just watch for on draft night because I, I guarantee you I think someone's going to reach for him. 
I mean, it's such a crapshoot. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess he's shown flashes, but then again, it's like I don't even think Kendall Brown is necessarily a fake pick because the guy is such a reluctant scorer. <laughs> I think he had like I don't know, like ten points combined in, in in the tournament. I take I take Sohan over over Kendall Brown because I think that he is more impactful, and you know he he'll have a he just impact games in, in different ways. But yeah, I mean Hardy, I don't, I, I, mean, I think for him it could be fit. He could fall out, and if he doesn't, it's going to be based clearly off of his high school, off his his high school rep. Which unfortunately sometimes it, it does matter helping guys get drafted. Like Zaire Williams, for example, he had a, a pretty tough freshman year, but the the high school rep that he carried into the season kind of helped him get drafted. I would not I would not roll the dice here because of Houston's situation with those Nets picks, but it would intrigue me if they if they did or if another team did because I I want to see how far this guy falls because again I remember we were, we were just talking about it a minute ago about someone who has a bad rookie year, uh, you know, kind of screwing themselves out of a top ten pick. You talk about somebody who had a bad uh, first year out of high school. I mean, no one had a worse year than Jalen Hardy, and it's 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 definitely going to be something to watch for. I I don't see him get into the second round. I just don't. I maybe maybe it's maybe it's me being naive about this, but I just I think I think some general manager is going to get going to get bold, and some general manager is going to be like, you know, this pick doesn't really matter the, where we're where we're at in the draft. Traditionally, you're going to get a role player, and if if I'm if I'm going to miss out on a role player. For someone that could potentially be someone more than something more than a role player, I'm, it's just something I pitched. It's just something you know to, to to chew on as we go into the draft. I'm probably a little bit lower on the on the bottom ten in the first round than maybe you are, but I think it's going to be fun to watch uh, to see how many of these guys prove us wrong. Because again, as you said just a few minutes ago, it's such a crapshoot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because, again, there's somebody that we may think is going to go in the 15 through 18 range that could fall. And there's somebody that's probably on, on most boards in their 30s. I mean, think about Josh Primo last year. That just kind of <laughs> caught everybody by surprise. But it took a gutsy a gutsy general manager with some security to, to go ahead and, and select him so high. So I, I think there's going to be multiple guys that could end up being like a Josh Primo. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do my dumb podcast. I know the time difference there is rough. I mean, I, I feel like in, in this case, you've had to adjust more than I've had to. It's still like a, you know, regular hours for me. So thank you for adjusting and, and, and doing this podcast so early in the day for you. And thanks for having me on and I mean, I appreciate the opportunity to talk hoops with your platform. You have a, a pretty good platform, so thank you. Well, thank you, man. Like, listen, congratulations again. Like, you deserve it. I think uh, a lot of people are going to get to know you over the next few months. You're going to be doing a lot of radio interviews, a lot of podcast interviews. Uh, hopefully, we can get you on one more time before the draft, but I'm not counting on it because I do expect you to get pretty busy over the, these next few months. So, Best of luck to you. Uh, I uh, hopefully we can get you on one more time, but I do appreciate you taking the time out uh, to do this. Well, I tell you what, I can make you a guarantee that I'll be on any time that you reach out to me. So all you gotta do is reach out to me. We'll set a date, we'll set a time, and then we can make it happen. So 
I'm 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 not big time. <laughs> I'm still gonna do podcast appearances. And I mean, I, the Rockets are one of the more intriguing teams because they have so many picks. I mean, what what is it like? Didn't the GM say, don't judge the Harden trade until like 2030 or something like that? I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit. So Yeah, Rafael said, don't judge yeah, the I mean, Harden the trade for 10 years. Picks. Yeah. Yeah, so they're going to have picks, have interesting young players, and I love trying to figure out how they're going to make the pieces fit. And if there's an opportunity to talk NBA draft with, with the Rockets fan base, I'm, I'm down for it. So I can guarantee you, I'll be on any time you me. Sounds good. We're going to make that a done deal. I'm going to hold you to it. Uh, have, a, have a good rest of your day, Raphael. Thank you so much. Have a good one. And of course, I finished the podcast without asking Raphael to plug his work, and he didn't even mind. But I'm going to go ahead and do that anyways for him. His Twitter is at Barlow500, and his website is NBADraftJunkies.com, although he is going to be transitioning over to NBA Big Board. So go ahead and follow that Substack. Uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow us on on Twitter, by the way. I have We have a Twitter account, and I don't plug it enough, so I'm going to try to do my best to do that. And yeah, guys, have, have a good rest of your day.